0: This is Daniel Fagella, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast, where non-technical executives stay ahead of the AI curve. you do not want to learn how to write Python, but you do want to steer an effective AI strategy and see AI through to an ROI in the enterprise, you've tuned in to the right place. In our episode this week, we're focusing on AI applications in compliance for financial services. That by itself is a topic that we've covered on many occasions, but our focus this time is actually around communications intelligence. That is to say, what kind of information is hiding in our emails and even our Slack messages that might in some way, shape, or form be violating regulatory rules? Whether it's illegally influencing the market, insider trading, or anything else that's wrong, illegal, or punishable by regulatory bodies, how can we use artificial intelligence to sift through this endless deluge of communications to figure out where our compliance risks might be and to nip them in the bud? Our guest this week is Brandon Carl. He is EVP of product strategy at Smarsh. Smarsh is a substantial player in the compliance domain in financial services. And Brandon covers a number of topics with us. Number one, he speaks to us about what kind of communications data might actually house uh, fraud or financial crime signals in the first place. What are the varieties of communications data that we should pay attention to? Secondly, what can we actually do with that data? What are individual AI use cases that can coax out patterns and be able to nip financial crime in the bud? What does it look like to, again, unlock the value in that data for Uh, the detection of financial crime. And then lastly, what can leaders do now to find the low-hanging fruit in their own communications data? I hope you get a lot out of this episode. This is the first of a sponsored series by Smarsh focused on communications intelligence. All those episodes will be loaded here on Thursdays. So stay tuned if you're interested more in compliance and communications intelligence. Without further ado, let's fly into the first episode in this series. Again, this is Brandon Carl with Smarsh here on the AI in Business podcast. So, Brandon, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Dan. We are talking about a topic that I don't think has been the headliner of any previous episode in financial services, which frankly is saying something as we've covered so much in this world of compliance, and that is communications data. We're going to talk about why it's relevant, but can we first just set a bounding box when you folks at Smarsh talk about communications data as an idea? How do you like to explain what that means for for business folks? Absolutely. Most of us think
1: of communications data historically as email only. One of the interesting things over the past 10 to 15 years is there's been an explosion in creativity around the types of communications data. So when we look at this nowadays, it's not only email, it's collaboration apps like Slack and Teams, it's video apps like Zoom. You've got mobile technologies and consumer messaging apps that are in there and then traditional phone calls, video, social media and the like. So effectively any medium over which people are communicating with each other.
0: Got it. So it is literally the broadest definition of the phrase. Absolutely. More or less. Okay, got it. Yep. So Slack is in the mix, et cetera. And let's talk a little bit about where and why this has become relevant. Clearly, you guys have you know products built around this. This is your space. But what has made this become something that is valuable and that enterprises actually want to find the value in?
1: You have historically two primary use cases and two primary drivers that are, are now increasing in scope in terms of how you look at things within firms. And those two primary drivers have been regulatory and legal. Many people may not know this, but financial services firms are required by regulators across the globe, not only to capture their communications data, but to store that and archive it in a specific manner, and then to analyze it and look for misconduct. And the reason that they do this is to make sure that they're keeping the market safe and companies safe. They're effectively hedging against things like market misconduct going on. Then at the same time, so you have the regulatory risk, but you also have legal risks, right? So when there are lawsuits that are in place, oftentimes people need to put communications on legal hold. Firms need to conduct internal investigations and to understand whether there was an issue or whether there's a company or an individual that they need to go after. So over time, really over the past 20 to 30 years, this combination of the regulatory requirements and the legal requirements has driven firms to both collect but then also to store and retain this communications data.
0: Got it. Okay. So there are new mandates that make this important. And there's obviously, you know, legal reasons in addition to those compliance ones to want to do so. And my supposition here is that the manual searching of those giant corpuses of data from Slack, et cetera, et cetera, is unreasonable. And herein enters AI. But you let me know kind of where AI starts to find its way into this picture.
1: That's absolutely right. So if you rewind again about 20 years ago, as firms were required to be scanning these communications for market misconduct. And when we talk about this, it's things like inside information and market manipulation, things none of us want to have happen in order to create a healthy and ongoing market. If you take a look at what used to be done, a lot of these were just ad hoc searches where people were trying to find things within communications data. And that worked mostly when things were just email, right? But as the communications volumes have increased, you see 50 to 100% increases post the pandemic. Now you suddenly have too much volume to have a human review team looking for these things. And so really the, the cutting edge and the breakthroughs within this space have all come within natural language processing and applying artificial intelligence to this where the AIs effectively emulate a compliance expert or a compliance analyst and looking for these signals around market misconduct.
0: Got it. And we've seen oodles and noodles. So we're starting to get to territory that some of our listeners will be familiar with when it comes to applications of AI in the financial services space. NLP is rampant in both banking and insurance, and you're talking about a use case that is probably going to click, again, conceptually for the audience. In the document search and discovery world, for example, Brandon, if we're talking about just boring PDFs, being able to search for keywords is one thing. Being able to search for concepts is another. Being able to search for a specific sentence or a person or an entity is one thing. Being able to say, what are all the paragraphs that sound like this paragraph or have the same point as this paragraph is another thing entirely. My guess is that with AI, we're looking at similar amounts of more robust, more potentially granular, more conceptual kinds of search to help these analysts with their time.
1: That's exactly right. And one of the most interesting things about these sorts of situations, right, and we can talk later about some of the positive cultural aspects, but there is the need to surface some of this misconduct. And one of the most interesting things about this is it's effectively an adversarial game. If you have bad actors or nefarious individuals who are trying to commit crime, they want to obfuscate their behavior. They don't want to be detected. And so semantics becomes very important in effectively finding these breadcrumbs to make sure that you're looking for the appropriate clues to keep your firm safe and also to keep them compliant.
0: Totally, yeah. Kind of like in in every area of compliance and fraud in financial services and every other industry, there is no if-then rule set that will handle reality. Even if we stayed within Slack and email, et cetera, et cetera, when people are trying to outsmart the system, they'll figure out the rules. And so we need AI to be able to be nimble. And I guess this takes us, Brandon, right smack into use cases. You're talking about market misconduct. Some of our listeners are sort of probably have some hunches in their mind, I certainly do, as to what that implies. But let's talk about some use cases that involve some specific kinds of misconduct and the specific workflows that these analysts are using to unearth that. I'd love to make this visual in the mind of our listeners. And when we start off with market misconduct, I'd mentioned this earlier, but the core thing that we
1: need is we need to make sure that our markets are functioning well in order to have a well-functioning economy. And by functioning well, we need to have effectively a level playing field for people to participate in those markets. And so oftentimes when we talk about market misconduct, it falls into a couple different buckets. I mentioned some of this a little bit earlier, but inside information is one key bucket, right? So are there people who have material non-public information and are they spreading that information to others and using that for their own personal gain or for the gain of a hedge fund or the like? Part one from there are there people who are colluding or coordinating together in order to push the market up or down or trying to impact the prices in some way that they can benefit from that from there you also have things like bribery gifts and entertainment and the like and you have aspects of either intellectual theft or financial crime that are tying into this and so when you look at this and when we talk about communications data It really does go beyond a a keyword or a lexicon to saying, what's the intention? What's the behavior going on? And how do we find both these early indicators, but then also after the fact indicators so that we can make sure to understand what's happened?
0: Got it. And again, some of these instances of what we mean by misconduct starting to become more clear. I think many of our listeners will be familiar, at least with the phrase insider trading. They probably saw some headlines with Martha Stewart many years ago. Obviously, we're talking about a a bigger, more sort of corporate level of this kind of stuff, which can happen in many ways. You mentioned bribes. You mentioned colluding around pricing. You mentioned other sorts of things like this. We could take any one of those that you think is going to be good as a tangible example and talk about what is an analyst doing when they're trying to ferret this out? I imagine it goes both ways. Maybe you could talk about it. Number one, people are just analyzing this in general. There is some background analysis that's happening constantly to keep behavior in check. Number two, when things are suspected, probably analysts get assigned to say, hey, look through all the communications of this whole group of people with these outside groups, because we're actually of the belief that there's a higher risk something's happening here. And we want to make sure that we haven't done anything wrong that's going to punish us in a regulatory sense. Again, maybe we can put this in in the hands of of an analyst and say, what was their job like before? What's it like now with, with AI in the mix?
1: Absolutely. And one of the interesting things, Dan, to highlight within this is when we take a look for these examples of misconduct, it's oftentimes 10 or 100 times rarer than fraud. So it's a really hard yeah. problem to detect. And the traditional workflow for this is is... You have a machine, right, and historically this was done through effectively keyword searching that was looking through all of the communications for, you know, keyword and a keyword might be, you know, historically pump and dump or fixing LIBOR or those sorts of things. And historically, the machines would basically scan these communications and it would generate tons of alerts. The issue was because you couldn't actually look for uh, more of the finer grain patterns. Uh, many of these alerts and the volumes that were associated were far too many for the teams to actually go through things, and so as a result of that, they had to random sample or 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 downsample what they looked at. And so, even though the machine may generate ten thousand alerts historically, if the reviewer could only go through a, a thousand of those, they would would just sample those, right? And you can imagine why that's ineffective. So the machines effectively alerting these messages, it's providing it to these reviewers, right? And then the reviewers are going through the messages and taking a look and saying, this is either relevant or not relevant. And if it's relevant, they have typically escalation workflows to do investigations and the like. That's how things have operated historically. While the workflows are still the same, the key invention with the ML technologies has been The ability to really improve the signal to noise ratio, to filter out a lot of the noise and to actually focus in on finding new forms and new types of misconduct. So historically, when reviewers would go through things and you can imagine almost an Orwellian world with this, 99 out of 100 or 999 out of a thousand of these alerts would actually be irrelevant. And so there have been people whose job was effectively the majority of the day just to click irrelevant. And what we've been able to do with some of these AI technologies is actually filter out so much noise that they have a lot more signal they can focus in on.
0: Yeah, again, our listeners will see some corollary directly with so many other elements of managing risk. I mean, cybersecurity, very much similar to this, right? We're looking at stuff Mm -hmm. that has no risk at all. And, you know, payment fraud, very similar. Anti-money laundering, very similar. But as as you're addressing here, in this case, we might be looking at orders of magnitude less frequent incidents than even fraud so we're even more looking for needles in an even larger haystack if i'm hearing you right that's exactly right yeah so i'd love to get a little bit of a sense of what it looks like to coax those needles to the top and, and again very very important facet of ai is kind of augmenting humans to be more effective this is clearly that kind of use case conceptually very similar to others we've talked about, but a little bit unique in terms of using communications data in this particular way. My imagination would lead me to, sure, maybe there are keywords and phrases we want to search for and kind of red flag that are a little bit more robust than a simple keyword. It's, It's something maybe a little bit more conceptual that we could search for. Maybe there are past instances of this kind of collusion that are speaking in slight amounts of code that we might be able to train a system to kind of pick up on. Hey, this feels like very uh, obfuscating language, if you will, that that mm-hmm. might be That's insinuating accurate. something else. So we might have 200 instances where that obfuscated language has led to actual fraud and say, when are we seeing people speaking this way? Or maybe we're we're even looking at things like frequency. How many times are they logging in across how many different devices? And maybe there's some real urgency when we're trying to to move the market or, or do some kind of insider trading move. Maybe there's patterns around using a cell phone late at night, or I, I have no idea, right. but you, you let me know, you know, how, how are we airing these needles? Because the job otherwise does sound pretty arduous and boring to be counting hay all mm-hmm.
1: day. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll be a little cautious with some of the secret sauce. We, we sure. spend a lot of time investing it, investing in this, but There are really three key things that have to come together when you're designing a system like this, right? Number one, you need to make sure that you have a good understanding of humans and human behavior. I think historically people have thought of this, as you pointed out, as a keyword search or those sorts of things. But at the core, you have to really understand... The cycle of how do people basically plan if they're going to commit misconduct? How do they act during that misconduct? How do they react afterwards, right, to certain situations and the like? So it starts off with an understanding of really human psychology and behavior, what that looks like. You then couple that with how people communicate, right, both from a technology standpoint and understanding the idiosyncrasies of that. And then lastly, you have to bring that into the patterns that are typically associated with market misconduct. And so when we take a look at this, what we really need to do is is three things. The first thing we need to do is to just filter out the obvious noise and when you pull up billions of communications at a firm, you begin to realize how much of communications data can just be noise. You know, 60, 70% of it can just be noise on any given day. And by that, I mean newsletters and spam and those sorts of things. And after you've filtered the noise out, you have to find the specific language of interest that may be concerning or related to a behavior. And then finally, from there, you need to make sure that that's occurring in the right context. And so that combination of noise filtering, detecting suspicious behavior, and then looking at it in the right context is how you zoom in and you narrow that lens to get to those really rare events.
0: Got it. And so because we've got the time to do so, we could talk a little bit more about sort of what this potentially looks like from the user's standpoint. I would imagine there is some kind of a interface these folks are using to do all this search. They're not logging into whatever outlook or google suite or something and and doing command f there's probably some kind of an interface from your folks standpoint when it comes to how you change the workflow is it simply taking that same interface and saying hey you're going to have more of the good stuff up at the top that's actually worth investigating otherwise your job is exactly the same or is the effect quite different in other words they're using a totally different interface than you they were using before that has all Mm -hmm. these parameters they can set what is the user experience shift the workflow shift for the sure. user with old school approach versus sort of being able to level this up with with ML.
1: And within this, you've got a top level experience, but you also have a really important behind the scenes that I'll spend a little time talking through. Within the top level experience, a lot of the initial experience does stay very similar, right? You, you have alerts that are coming in, but the key difference being you have much higher quality alerts that are coming in. So you're no longer clicking through 99 out of 100 false positives, but you're actually looking through uh, data that's much more relevant. The key impact that that has is, number one, it enables your reviewers to go through a lot more data, right? So as you have surges in communications data, you're able to handle that in an efficient and an effective way. But the second thing that it does is it starts to open them up for more of an investigatory sort of approach. So not only looking at the misconduct of the past and the present, but beginning to look for new signs of misconduct emerging, right? So from the reviewer standpoint, it it effectively, it creates a much better quality of life for a, a job, But the behind the scenes piece, Dan, is really where a lot of the key changes are happening. You can imagine understanding how a search is done. is a fairly basic thing. But if you look more broadly within this, once you get into machine learning, you need to make sure that you're focused on things like, is it biased? Is it fair? Is it explainable, right? Can you version it and control it and the like? And we've referred to this now internally as regulatory grade AI, right? Like making sure that there's a proper governance and explainability and robustness to your MLOps ecosystem to be able to enable your firm when you're looking through billions of communications.
0: Yeah. So, and, and so somebody's got to be able to manage, monitor some elements of that. I imagine as a vendor, some of that falls on you, but it sounds like there's also an interface for the technical teams at a client to be able to calibrate their features, understand the reason why we're unearthing these kinds of issues and not these kinds of issues, et cetera.
1: That's exactly right. And the key aspect within this is how do you create, and this is what we spend a lot of time on, how do you create the appropriate ops infrastructure for this such that the industry can benefit from both shared understanding as well as target the idiosyncrasies of their specific organization and creating AI that is both productized as well as customizable has been a really fun and interesting challenge for us.
0: Yeah, I mean, productizing AI is Certainly, certainly not an easy road for almost anybody. And most of the vendors that have sort of survived have realized that minimal workflow change is essentially the name of the game. If we want to be deployed uh, Mm -hmm. a a year after the ink is dry, my guess is that that's been somewhat similar for you guys. But of course, you have to add in those features. So how do we, how do we layer in the value we can layer in without, you know, making the frontline workers and the managers, you know, have to change kind of their day to day too much? Certainly a journey for you guys, a, a journey for literally every AI firm out there as well. A last point, simply because we have the time to unpack it, and I wasn't sure if we would, there's going to be yeah. some folks who are tuning in on this episode who are in the FinServ space and certainly are concerned with every manner of financial crime, any manner of insider trading or sort of tilting the market in, in any sort of way that would be of regulatory risk or, or legal moral risk. When they're sort of thinking about all the different streams of communication they have going on, where often does a project get started when it comes to waking up this data and being able to find risk? Is, is email most common because we, we often already have systems there to handle it? Do we start with smaller corpuses of data where, where maybe some of the variation is less wild than in email? What does it look like to begin waking this data up and unearthing more needles from the hay?
1: Absolutely. You're right that historically firms had started with email now from a regulatory perspective there's not particularly a limit in terms of what they're required to actually capture and to monitor within that and so a lot of times the the flow that we'll see with this information right is that the it group will determine that the employees need a new communication channel maybe that's whatsapp and they want to use that in a business sanctioned way maybe that's a situation where they are rolling out microsoft teams and as they roll that out obviously their regulatory surface area increases and they need to then go and pull those channels in so part of what we do within this is is we we capture these communications and we have available between 80 and 100 channels for them to be able to do that so if a firm says for example we're rolling out Microsoft Teams we have a way to work with them immediately for them to become compliant
0: got it so so email is is often a a common starting ground but as you're saying it sounds like regulatory wise if you will pretty much the whole kit and caboodle they're going to be on the hook for that's exactly right
1: okay. And and the, the the headlines that you see recently are really around mobile right if you take a look the regulators have been very focused on whatsapp in particular dan uh-huh. okay. and historically firms had taken an approach where they just effectively said please don't use whatsapp to communicate with customers And a lot of the tides have shifted now where regulators have made it clear uh, you have a corporate responsibility to make sure that your employees are utilizing this in a correct way. So we actually just announced an acquisition on Monday, uh, May 16th, that aligns with this because we're continuing to push that envelope forward to make sure that the, the firms have what they need on this front.
0: Got it. Okay. So it sounds like trend-wise, mobile has been where the regulators think there might be slack and people might be taking advantage of it. Is there anything else on a closing note in terms of trends that you're seeing and that you think the regulators are seeing that are worth putting on the radar here?
1: Absolutely. Near-term, we're also, in addition to mobile, seeing a lot of focus on voice and new languages, meaning new spoken languages Mm -hmm. and video. And over the intermediate term, one of the interesting things, Dan, is firms are are appropriately asking themselves, can they shift beyond just trying to find nefarious market behaviors, right? They're taking a look at things like how do we, in a privacy-preserving way, find key signals for a corporate culture? How do we make sure our employees are safe from an insider risk standpoint? Can they get early detections on shootings and those sorts of things? How do they make sure to have augmentation to make sure that their operations are going well? You know, if someone makes a mistake, can the machine actually detect a mistake, you know, post hoc, bring that to attention sooner so that the firm loses less money and the like. So really, once you have this in place and once you've created the scalable infrastructure, the ways to appropriately benefit your workforce and the markets and the like explode.
0: Yeah. Well, a few things to clarify, and then I'll just kind of close on a point. This is sort of opening up a really cool Pandora's box that Brandon and I imagine as we follow this space in the three, four years ahead, there's going to be a lot of blooming potential in this domain. You mentioned sort of foreign languages. I presume what we might be addressing here is maybe, you know, someone at our company speaks Portuguese or Greek, and maybe they're colluding with someone who's also speaks that language. and And so we need to be able to transcribe now that new language and make sure that those are also being detected and we don't have the excuse of, oh, well, it wasn't English, so we didn't pick up on it. Is that what you meant by foreign language or did you mean exa- something? Yeah, else? that's
1: exactly right. Both the transcription, the natural language processing, and then the model risk management and the ML ops pieces of those all working in concert.
0: Yeah. Well if if I was a vendor, and I'm not, we sure do talk to a, a damn well lot of them, Brandon. If I was a vendor in, in your guys' space, I would I would definitely use the spearhead of the compliance stuff where people are are going to they're going to jump on this boat for that reason to then open up a much broader suite of, of potential that could do with all sorts of things. To your point, maybe employee safety, maybe culture. There's all kinds of companies in a little bit of a separate world than you looking at things like predicting employee churn. It sounds like the possibilities do have quite a, a potential to bloom into the future years here. That's right. And I think the key
1: key challenge that it would leave to the listeners with this, Dan, and really the industry is when new technologies come forward, it's incumbent upon all of ourselves to, to understand and define the appropriate uses of these, right? So with these powerful technologies, we can use these to make the workplace a better place. And we need to, to be having open dialogue and engaging dialogue as to the best ways to go about that.
0: Yep. Yeah. Because clearly there's some thin lines here on the Orwell side and, and people are going to want to you know, leverage it in a way that they think is moral and proper. And, and that's a moving target, so to speak. But the the potential for the future is clearly pretty darn big. And we got to touch on some great examples today, Brandon. So glad we got to address this new topic. And thanks again for being with us today. Yeah. Great to join you. And that is all for this episode of the AI in Business podcast. Thank you for tuning in all the way through to the end of this episode. I appreciate you being here. And big thank you to Brandon for being able to join us in this episode. Communications intelligence is admittedly a bit of a new hook and angle for us, but I can say one thing for sure. Anything that ties to compliance or regulatory concerns in FinServe is of interest when it comes to AI adoption. These are defensive organizations who are very, very actively focused on these areas. So I figured the series could be useful. And again, a big thanks to Smarsh for sponsoring this series. There will be more episodes in the series airing on Thursday. So if you see a Thursday episode in the future here, you can expect exactly what kind of topic it'll be about. We'll have guests from all sorts of leading financial services organizations. We already have episodes recorded with UBS, WTW, and others. So stay tuned on Thursdays and otherwise stay tuned for our normal episodes. Of course, every Tuesday we cover use cases and trends affecting any industry and artificial intelligence. So keep it locked here for next week. I look forward to catching you again on the AI and Business Podcast.